said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Andrew Russell. Some years ago, I applied for a, um, a job as a tour guide at Centrepoint, Sydney Tower. We all know where Centrepoint is, don't we? Or Sydney Tower. And uh, I applied for a job with this tour guide. I, hadn't, I didn't have any tour guiding experience before. Uh, but I saw the advertisement and I thought, well, this would be something different. And so I went. I was told that I don't have any experience uh, by the uh, interviewer, who was also the manager at the time. And I said, look, I learn quickly and I'm sure I'll do well. And uh, she was quite um, taken by my confidence at the time. So she said, all right, we'll give you a go. Okay. So I, uh, I took that job as a tour guide and uh, Kim, my lovely wife over there, became my trainer. She trained me. Kim was a professional commentator on the Captain Cook cruises on the harbour and she was also working as a tour guide in Sydney Tower at the time. And uh, so I became quite proficient as a tour guide, thanks to my lovely wife. Um, the day came when the company AMP, who actually owned the tower at the time, actually decided that they wanted to adopt multi-skilling. Uh, a lot of organisations at that time adopted multi-skilling for their staff. It was kind of like a cost-saving exercise. Why have one person doing just one role when you can move them around and have them doing two, three other roles? So tour guides were asked to do cashiering. And I thought to myself, I didn't apply for a cashier's job. <laughs> and I wasn't happy about this change. Well, no one else really said anything because everyone was worried about their employment, of course. And so reluctantly they engaged in that. Well, I made a decision, I'm going to go see the manager. So I went off to the manager and I shared my grievance with her. Well, she said, all right, Andrew. She says, look, I understand. How about, how about you just do it for four weeks and, and at the end of the four weeks, you can go back to your tour guiding. And I said, okay. All right, I'll make the sacrifice for four weeks. But as long as I can go back to the tour guiding. She said, yep, yep, that's fine. So I did. Well, four weeks came and went. Five weeks came. Six weeks came. And there I was sitting in that cashier's booth taking money. Of course, I don't have anything against cashiering. It just wasn't my fit and uh, not what I applied for. And so I thought to myself, that's it, I've got to go see my manager again. So in the seventh week, I said to her, you said that after four weeks, I could go back to my tour guiding. And she just had a funny attitude. And she just basically said, Andrew, you're under the employment of AMP Tower, as it was called at the time. You will just have to do what's expected of you, and that will be that. What do you think I did? <laughs> okay. Well, I said to her, 
you reneged on your agreement. You reneged on your agreement. You had stated that if I did it for four weeks, you would allow me to go back to tour guiding for which I was hired. Um, but instead, you've broken your promise and I'm stuck doing a job that I didn't apply for. And if this was a final position, then I would make my decisions accordingly. What do you think happened? I was prepared to walk away from my job and that lovely lady over there that I had quite an interest in at the time, <laughs> based on principle, based on principle. So she didn't say anything, I left. And the next day, I found myself back up on the observation deck running tours again. <laughs> Kim and I had actually helped to put together a, the commentary for the tour guiding that takes place up there uh, when you visit the centre. But that didn't happen before she expressed herself. Um, you know, she had said, look, that's, that's how it is and so forth and I said to her, well, I just need to know your position. Um, I guess I should have shared that she expressed herself in such a way that it was, uh, it was at, like being at the end of a tirade. Do you know what a tirade is? Anyone know what a tirade is? Not a word we use too often in the English language these days, is it? A tirade is when you are bearing the brunt of someone's disapproval and they're kind of giving it to you and telling you how it is, you know? <laughs> That's what took place. This morning, I want to go with you to Daniel chapter 3 because we're going to look at this story of these Hebrew boys that experienced a tirade from King Nebuchadnezzar. Turn with me into Daniel chapter 3 and let's go to verse 13 and 15. Daniel chapter 3, verse 13 to 15. It's not a pleasant experience to go through something like that. Let's read verse 13 to 15. And we continue our studies in the book of Daniel. Last time I shared with you and I elaborated on Daniel chapter 2 where God announced that um, he would break in pieces the kingdoms of the earth. Isn't that right? And he would break in pieces the kingdoms of the earth and we, we studied that out together and we, we studied the great day of the Lord. Uh, the great day of the Lord and God's judgment. Of course, Nebuchadnezzar, having understood the dream now that Daniel had interpreted for him, um, understood that you know, there was going to be this rise of succession empires, but he received the revelation from Daniel as being a prophet from the living God because he was able to um, understand that dream. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But let's read verse 13 to 15. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar in his what? Rage. In his rage and fury. fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, if you be ready, that at the time you hear the, um, you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made. 
Well, but if you worship not, you shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? So the background to the story here is that, uh, as I was just uh, mentioning, that King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. Many of you know that, familiar with it. The dream was of a statue, head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron, feet part of iron and part of clay. And the king couldn't understand the dream. And when Daniel interpreted that dream for the king, he said to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, you are this head of gold, for the God of heaven has given you a what? Anyone know? The God of heaven has given you a kingdom. You're represented by the head of gold in that dream. Okay? But after you would come a succession of empires. Babylon would be succeeded by a succession of empires. And at the end of, end of it all, God would break in pieces the nations that be. And he would establish his everlasting kingdom. That was the interpretation given to the king, and God's kingdom would stand forever. Nebuchadnezzar actually responded at the end of Daniel 2 with falling at the feet of Daniel and confessing that his God was a God of gods. And he promoted Daniel, and he promoted, and Daniel solicited the favor of the king on behalf of his friends as well. Because they had joined Daniel in prayer, and they had petitioned their God together. And God had responded. And so all of them were promoted to great positions of trust in the Babylonian government. But when we get to Daniel chapter 3, we find out that it seems like after some time, after a little while, Nebuchadnezzar's humility was overtaken by pride. It was overtaken by pride. He looked at the splendor of Babylon And he rejected the notion that the God of Israel had somehow given him, the king of Babylon, his kingdom. Okay? And that it would fall. And so where he was represented by a statue, um, by a head of gold in that dream, he went on to make a whole statue of gold. Go with me to Daniel chapter 4 just for a moment. It's very clear in Nebuchadnezzar's mindset here in Daniel chapter 4, verse 30. Notice the Bible says here in verse 30. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of what? My power. And for the honor of what? My majesty. So where was the focus? On himself, wasn't it? He said, I've acquired all of this. I've accomplished all of this. I have done this. And King Nebuchadnezzar gives us a good example of someone that's exalted with their own sense of self-importance. Their own sense of self-importance. Do you know what that is? It's a delusion. He was deluded to think that he had acquired everything and his majesty was somehow something that he himself 
had warranted and accomplished. It's a delusion when it disregards the sovereignty of God. It's a delusion when it disregards the sovereignty of God, believing that position and status is self-acquired. We do it all the time, don't we, in this world? We actually think that, you know, I got this, I did this great company, you know, I built this company and it's, you know, uh, I did it all and it's successful because of me and so forth. And, and we forget the fact that there is a God who is sovereign over all things. We think that the career we have and the work we have, we've acquired that all by ourselves. There's a thing in the world that is working. It's the hand of God and it's called providence. The other day I was sharing with my dad, actually, we took a drive over the northern beaches. We had some business over there. And uh, I was driving back and I said to my dad, I remember a time I had an appointment with, um, not an appointment, I had a, a get-together with my cousin. I, I lived in DY at the time. Who knows where DY is? Yeah? Okay. And I had to get all the way to Clove Valley Beach. You know where Clove Valley Beach is? And I had to catch public transport. You know how long it takes with public transport to get to, from DY to Clove Valley? Right? Two hours, that's right. right. And I had, you had to catch two buses, one to the city and then one to Clo Valley. And I said to my dad, I remember this one day I was, uh, I was running really late. I left my house with 45 minutes to go. I sprinted to the bus stop. And I got there and I realized I was not going to make it because we actually had an engagement and I had to be there on time. But for some reason I was running so late. And I remember getting there and I said, I was so desperate. I didn't really know God as I know today, right? But I was so desperate. I said, God, please help me in my mind. I was looking for a miracle. What was going to get me to Clove Valley Beach in two hours? <laughs> Sorry, in 45 minutes, it's normally a two-hour two, two trip. I stuck my finger out. Don't do that today, okay? <laughs> I stuck my finger out. I thought, there's nothing left for me to do here. I've got to take my chance. I stuck my finger out. What do you do when you do that? You're hiking, aren't you? Will someone give me a lift? 30 seconds later, this man pulls up in a van, and he's this hippie-looking kind of guy. He says, where are you going? I says, I'm going to Clove Valley Beach. I said, where are you going? He told me someplace. I said, so you're going past the city? And he said, yeah, he goes, look, I said, look, I'll take a ride to the city if that's okay. He goes, no worries, buddy, jump on in. And we got to the city, he said, hey, just sit tight. I'll take you to Clove Valley Beach. And there I was, right on time. Isn't that amazing? Providence, it's alive and well. The hand of God works in the life of those who will call to him. Amen? The hand of God works in the life of God. Uh, it works in the, life of, in the life of everyone, whether they believe it or not. Providence is at work in the world. Nebuchadnezzar had rejected that notion of God's providence now through the dream. We can all succumb to the sense of self-importance to the exclusion of God. I want to read to you a statement from a man by the name of Thomas Saz. Thomas Saz was an American, a Hungarian-American academic, 
psychiatrist and, and psychoanalyst. He wasn't one of the favorites within his field of study, and I'll tell you why in a moment. But he stated, every act of conscious learning requires the willingness to suffer an injury to one's self-esteem. Okay? Every act of conscious learning. So if, you, if you're a true learner, if you're someone that wants to learn and get ahead in life and, and, and apply certain things and lessons, he says it requires the willingness to suffer an injury to your self-esteem. You get it? Okay. He says that is why young children before they are aware of their own self-importance, learn so easily. Is that a fair statement? You know, that's why we have that saying, you can't teach an old dog what? New tricks. You know, when you're a child, you don't really have that sense of your own self-importance when you're really young. So you, you know, you can, children learn very easily, don't they? They're like a sponge, they learn, they just accept that that's right when you teach them. But once they get a sense of their own self-importance, they start to go, well, I don't know if I want to believe that. Well, I don't know if I want to do that. Isn't that right? And the older we get, perhaps the more stubborn we can become. Isn't that right? That's why we say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Why Thomas Sass wasn't much liked for his industry was because he actually believed that mental illness was largely the result of lifestyle thought processes and choices. And he said on the rare occasion, it was because of a physical or actual mental disability. Whereas everyone else said, no, 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 it's a disease. Mental illness is a disease, right? right? He said, no, 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 you have to go back and you have to look at the person's life and realize that where they are today in terms of being mentally ill is largely the result of the way they've gone about things in their life. I, met, I knew a man uh, when I was at, um, uh, at the Avondale Memorial Church there. I was an intern, and he worked at the Morissette Psychiatric Hospital. And he worked there for many years. I think he worked there for over two or three decades from memory. And one day we were talking and he said to me, Andrew, he said, there's people there that really don't need to be there if only they knew the Lord Jesus Christ. All they needed was Jesus. But because they didn't have him in their life, they didn't have the knowledge of God's love and care in their life, their mental thought processes suffered and they made poor decisions. And it just kind of impacted and impacted and impacted to the point where they couldn't cope any longer with life and couldn't even make sound decisions anymore. That's why when God calls um, to men and women, as he did to King Nebuchadnezzar, he calls us to acknowledge the opportunities and the provisions that he makes for us. God calls men and women to acknowledge the opportunities and the provisions that he makes for us each day. You and I don't breathe without God. Okay? We're we're a, a part of his awesome creation. 
And so life lived with God is to acknowledge the opportunities and the provisions that he makes with us. Nebuchadnezzar was, had such a sense of self-importance that he made this golden image. We'll read about it in verse 2. Let's read from verse 2. Daniel chapter 3, I should say again, verse 2. Let's read the story now. We're going back now in the story. Let's read from verse 2 down. It says here, Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the king. Sorry. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors and the captains, the judges and treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Okay? So he sets up this massive image. Uh, Perhaps we should have read verse 1. Forgive me. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And there he gathers together the princes, the governors, the sheriffs. You've got to notice very carefully the language. Who was there? He invited the state, isn't that right? Invited the lawmakers, he invited the police and so forth that upheld those laws. Verse 3 says, Then the princes, the governors and captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And verse 4 says, Then an herald cried aloud, To you it is, what everyone? Commanded, O people, nations and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, Babylonian music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king had set up. Verse 6 says, And whoso falleth not down and worshippeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Fiery furnace is what was used to, the furnaces were used in ancient times to make bricks and so forth. Okay, Uh, That's what they were used for. So it should be no surprise that there was a fiery furnace there in the building and erection of this image. So Nebuchadnezzar now, he's saying, he's actually rejecting the light of knowledge that God has given. And he's saying, my kingdom is going to stand forever. Babylon is not going to fall and be succeeded. It's going to stand. It's going to stand. We read about the image here. We read about the image here in relation to Babylon. And we find a similar reference In Revelation 14, Revelation 14, let's go there, Revelation 14 and uh, verses 8 and 9. Revelation 14, verse 8 and 9. Perhaps you can even quote this. Revelation 14, verse 8 and 9, the Bible says here, And there followed another angel, saying, what? Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his 
image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Was Babylon standing when John received this vision and wrote it? No. The kingdom of Babylon was no longer around. It had been succeeded. The kingdom that was around when John received this vision was the kingdom of Rome. This was written around AD 90, AD 95, the book of Revelation. Okay? But we we get a reference here to Babylon and the image. This is going to come out more as we continue studying the book of Daniel, particularly Daniel chapter 7, Daniel 8, Daniel 9. Okay? We'll explore that image here. Because this reference now is no longer to Babylon in John's account here in the book of Revelation. But there is a lesson here. I want you to think about Daniel's friends, okay, who experienced that, that tirade from the king. When they began to build the image of gold, and when it came to the knowledge of what the king was intending to do, what do you think was passing through their mind? Sorry? Big trouble for them. Thank you. Here comes, here comes an assault on our religious liberty. What is a religious liberty? Freedom to worship your God. Isn't that right? Freedom to worship your God. As they saw this image being built and they realized what was going on and then at its completion and they heard the cry, they realized that their religious liberty was being attacked, was being assaulted. When John talks about Babylon here and this image, the image represents an attack on religious liberty. But John's account places this at the very end of time right before the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I just want to draw that parallel to you so you have that as a foundation for when we continue our studies. But could you imagine how these young men were feeling? In my last couple of presentations, we looked at particularly Daniel 2, I shared with you some news articles in relation to the Erosion of the Christian faith from the public square. I shared with you how governments are legislating and education departments are legislating, not only here in Australia, but overseas, to remove Christ from the public square. Bankstown Shopping Centre, where I lived, they chose not to have Christmas trees in the shopping centre anymore. No longer Christmas carols over the speaker system because it would offend those that are not Christian. Do you know who spoke against that? Do you know who the voice that spoke the loudest against that? It was the Muslim community. Interesting. They said, what are you doing that for? We don't mind. We know what we believe. But we like seeing the shopping centre decorated and, and all this kind of things and festive season, you know. Isn't that amazing? 
And I shared with you how even education departments, uh, children are not allowed to hand out Christmas cards to their friends at school. The erosion of liberties. I have just a statement here from the ABC, Religious Liberty Under Attack. It's interesting that you can read articles like this through the uh, ABC, uh, the Australian Bro uh, Broadcasting Corporation. This is just a statement that says, to be sure, religious liberty is not an absolute right. Religious liberty is not an absolute right. It must be balanced against competing rights. Sometimes religious believers will lose. This is what it means to live in a pluralistic democracy with a separation of church and state. Do you agree with that? I talked to you about pluralism the last time and I try to show you that what people today understand as pluralism, a pluralistic society, um, is not what was intended when the, when the Western governments formed their constitution. Okay? Um, pluralism allows for all religions to live freely, worship how you want to, right? But it doesn't allow for the removal of one religion over another. See that? But what people are saying, have been saying is today, we live in a pluralistic society and no religion should dominate. And Christianity has been dominating for too long in Australia and in Western societies. Okay? That's what they're saying. So therefore it must be removed. No, 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 no. There's nothing wrong with acknowledging your roots as a Christian country. Fair enough? There's nothing wrong. Our constitution, I shared in the past, is based upon the Ten Commandments. It's based upon British common law, which they know was based upon the Ten Commandments. That's what guarantees our liberties. But now, that's being eroded. goes on to say here, so sometimes religious believers will lose. This is what it means to live in a pluralistic democracy with a separation of church and state. The separation of church and state was to ensure that no one religion imposes itself upon the people. Okay? That's what separation of state was for. So that it doesn't, no one religion imposes itself upon the people and, is, and people are then compelled to accept that religion, okay? Separation of church and state wasn't to depose of religion or a dominant religion altogether, okay? So it goes on and says, but if the political and legal system is constructed to guarantee that religious believers always lose these contests, then it is no longer liberal. So... So the author here, he says, but if the political and legal system is constructed in such a way that religious believers always lose, always lose when it comes to that competing rights, then he says, then we've lost our liberalities. I didn't read the rest of the article because it's quite long, 
But he was talking about the LGBTQI movement that particularly found its strength in 2015 and swept through America and so forth. Those competing rights was, were upheld so that at the same time the decline in Christianity was taking place. Many people stopped going to church and stuff like that. You know, many people not so religious anymore. Everyone's busy on their devices, right? Okay. But he says at that time, the religionists lost out. They lost their liberties in the process. And he says in the article, if that continues, if people continue to stand up with competing rights, it will erode religious liberty altogether, is what he's saying. Except where the Christian community accepts what others are what others believe are their right, regardless, of course, whether it's moral or unmoral. So the image is representative of an erosion of religious liberty, and this is what Daniel's friends recognised they were about to experience. Let's go back to Daniel chapter 3. Let's go back to Daniel chapter 3. And let's read... um, Let's read again. Uh, Let's read from verse 12 this time, okay? Everyone was called to bow down and worship or risk being thrown into the fiery furnace. Verse 12, it says, There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar is hearing some news here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, These men, O king, have not regarded thee, They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if ye be ready that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, but if you worship not, you shall be cast the same hour into the midst, into the midst of the fiery, of a burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? What would you do if you were in there? position. I don't know. Pray. Hard to know, isn't it? Hard to know when it actually comes down to it all, whether what we profess is actually what we will stand by. When the pressure is on, things change, isn't it? When when you're in the pressure cooker and you've got to make a decision, Do you stand in what is right? Especially when you have the tirade of the king upon you. What do you do? What do you do? Let's go to Matthew 22, verse 14. Hold your finger in Daniel 3. We'll come back. Matthew 22, verse 14. This was our scripture reading. Matthew 22, verse 14. These are the words of Jesus. 
For many are called, but few are chosen. How many of you are called here today? Who can say they're called? Put up your hand. Come on. Who can say they're called? Only a few of you? Has God called you? Has God set his love upon you? Have you heard about the Lord? Yeah? All right, put up your hand if you can say you're chosen. I've got one hand. I feel like an auctioneer now. Can I have two hands? We have two hands. Anyone for three hands? Anyone for three hands? <laughs> All right. Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. Let's begin with a calling. God had called King Nebuchadnezzar, didn't he? Was King Nebuchadnezzar respond to that call? He did initially. He did initially, but then he chose not to respond anymore. Who else was called here in this story? The children of Israel. Thank you. The children of Israel. Let's look at how they responded. Let's go to Daniel chapter 3. Notice how they responded. Daniel chapter 3. Let's read verse 16 to 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. What do they mean by not careful? They're saying, Nebuchadnezzar, we're not even going to hesitate. We're not even going to take time to really think about what kind of response we're going to give you. We'll give you our answer right now. Boldly. Oh, God put it in their heart. Amen. God put it in their heart. Verse 17 says, If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Nebuchadnezzar responds in verse 19. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury. He was furious before, but now he's full of fury. And the form of his visage was changed. That means his whole complexion, everything about him changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was usually heated. Make that furnace hotter than ever. Make that furnace hotter than ever. Verse 20 says, And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Verse 21 says, Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, and their hats, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Wow. So they submitted. They stood firm, and they allowed what would be what would be, would be. How were they able to do that? 
How were they able to do that? Let me suggest to you a principle that Christ taught us. Let's go to Luke. Luke chapter 16. We'll come back to Daniel 3. Sorry, hold your finger there, right? Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16 and verse 10. Luke chapter 16 and verse 10. Notice Jesus says, He that is faithful in that which is what? Least or little is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. What's that principle? What's Christ saying? You'll be faithful, all right? Thank you. Yeah. If you're faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in the big things. other words, you're faithful or you're not Yes. In other words, you're faithful or you're not faithful. Where does the devil, where does the devil attack us? In the big things? In the little things. You can be some mighty evangelist. You can be some wealthy person that gives so much money to the church. He doesn't, need to, he doesn't need to attack you there. He'll come to you in the little things. What's some of those little things? What's some of those little things that God requires of us? Everyday little things, isn't that right? Everyday little things. Yeah, someone said movies, what you watch, what you listen to. Getting up in the morning, spending time with the Lord. Little things. The little things. The devil attacks on the little things. And you wonder why you struggle. Especially in worship. You wonder why you struggle. I know as a pastor, when we were doing our training, um, uh, you know, the... uh, the lecturers and teachers would say, guys, if you're going to make a success in your ministry, if you want to succeed, be faithful in the little things. Be faithful in the little things. Otherwise, your ministry won't succeed. Be faithful in the little things. Have your devotion in the mornings. Spend time with God. Walk with God. Obey God in the little things. And God will bless, and he will bless abundantly, even in the bigger things. The Hebrew boys were faithful in the little things. What were those little things that they were faithful in that we read about in the book of Daniel in the previous chapters? Their diet, that's right. They followed a biblical diet. Yeah. They followed a biblical diet. They wouldn't eat of the king's food or meat. What else were they faithful in? In prayer, they petitioned the Lord. They said, we've got a challenge. We've got something here that's quite big. We need the Lord for it. Let's pray. Let's pray. Remember, they were, Daniel was willing to go like uh, three years. <laughs> right? Daniel was willing to go three years on his own eating pulse and water 
You know, it was a, they only gave, gave him 10 days in the end, but he was willing to go for that length of time. Faithful in the little things. When Babylon overtook them, they didn't crumble and fall. All was not lost. They knew that there was a sovereign God there, that if we called upon him, he was still with us. All was not lost. They continued in faith and hope and charity. And so now comes the time where they're going to be cast in the fiery furnace. They're saying, Lord, you've already taught us to be faithful in many things. See, you've taught us. And we'd rather fear the Lord than fear man. We'd rather fear the Lord than fear man. When you look at this COVID thing that's playing out, now, I don't want to get into the COVID dynamics, but you know, there's a lot of lawsuits and so forth. There's a number of states in America that are suing, that have filed lawsuits against the government. Are you aware of that? But one of those states that appears, has appeared on the news quite a lot was the state of Texas. And it's like this lone ranger that's standing against some of the laws. You know, now, people will dispute you know, on both sides of that uh, you know, um, freedom, issue of freedom and what the rights of the people are in terms of vaccinations. And, um, but, I mean, it's incredible that one state out of the 49 states and the one governor there of that state is making his stand, you know, has been making his stand. It's quite incredible. Everyone's laughing at you. Everyone thinks you're crazy. I've often said to people, you've got to live by your convictions. You may not even agree with me. I may not agree with you on some things, whether it be biblical doctrine, whatever. But you've got to live by your convictions. If you're not living by your convictions, then what have you got? What have you got if you can't, if you don't have, if you can't live by your convictions? So these Hebrew boys, they're standing strong because they've been faithful and God's grace has already helped them and carried them through and now they're met with this great challenge. It's life or death for them and they stand firm. They stand firm. Let's read on in Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. Let's read from verse 23. It says here, And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was what? Astounded or astonished, and rose up in haste and spoke and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king, yes, we have. That's exactly what we did. Verse 25 says, He answered and said, Lo, I see how many men? Four men loose, not tied up, not bound. They were tied and they were bound and then thrown in the furnace. Now he sees four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Does this sound like a fairy tale to you? Sound like a fairy tale? These men are thrown into a burning, fiery furnace and they're walking around there. Their ropes have burned loose, but they're untouched, unscathed by the flames. And there's a fourth person. And Nebuchadnezzar said, this fourth person looks like the son of God. How would he know that? 
How would he know that? You know in the islands, in, for example, Fiji, they do what's called fire walking. Ever heard of that? They stoke up that fire. They'll have a whole... You see this carpet all going all the way down? Hot stones. And they'll stoke up that fire. they put rocks in there. And then these men, these Fijians, will walk barefoot on the rocks. How is that possible? Is there anyone here that has ever done it or could do it? Who'd be willing to do it here? Do you know how they do it? I know what they teach. Westerners go and do this stuff, but they don't realise actually what they're getting engaged in. They think it's a matter of willpower. But if you understand the native customs, they pray to their gods and they believe these little gods lay themselves upon the rocks so that when you step on the rock, you don't feel the heat and they're able to walk all the way across. It's demonic. It's demonic. That's right. So don't tell me that God is not able to preserve a people in the midst of a fiery furnace. Amen? And this king saw it. He saw it with his own eyes. He was astounded, astonished at what he was looking at. And he saw a fourth form there like the Son of God. Remember in the dream of Daniel 2, there was a rock that came and struck that image. Remember that? That rock represented who? Jesus Christ, the rock of our salvation, the firm foundation for our life. He had some indication previously of what Jesus looked like. Verse 26 says, Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come forth, come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst, out of the, came forth of the midst of the fire, out of the middle of the fire. And the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was a hair of their head singed. Not one hair was singed on their head. Neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. You know when you have a barbecue, you see you have a fire, you go away, you smell like smoke. You couldn't even smell the smoke on these men. Verse 28 says, Then Nebuchadnezzar spoke and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him, and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. There is no other God, even amongst the myriad of Babylonian gods that they worship, no other God that is able to do this kind of thing. Verse 30, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province 
of Babylon. They got a second promotion there again. Incredible. Do you know, do you have any idea of what God is able to do in your life? Amen. How would you be foolish enough to deny that God? Yes, yes. We'll come to chapter 4 next time. (laughs) And we'll read Nebuchadnezzar's own testimony. Nebuchadnezzar was a bit slow to learn at first, wasn't he? Sometimes we're a bit slow to learn. We're a bit slow to learn. But that's why God gives us his word. Only when you walk with him are you able to testify when you walk with him in your integrity, with integrity of heart, with honesty, and you seek him every day, and you look for him, you look for the hand of providence to intervene in your life, and you, and you praise him and thank him and rejoice him in, in him every day. I can tell you stories of what God has done in my life that's incredible. I don't tell them all here, but incredible stuff that God has done. I know he's done it in some of your lives as well, if not all your lives. Okay, I don't want to presume to know. But this is the God of Daniel. This is the God of Meshach and Abednego and Shadrach. And this is the God that Christ commends to us. And where we see the image here and the And the erosion of religious liberty, the Bible tells us, as we read in Revelation uh, chapter 14, that that's what's going to take place at the end of time. And your only salvation will be in the Lord Jesus Christ that will deliver you at that time. You and I don't know what it's like to live in a society. Some of us have experienced it to a degree in some of our other countries that we come from, haven't we? Some of us have experienced what it's like. But Australia largely has not experienced, and Christians in Australia have not experienced, the erosion of religious liberty to the point where people come at you with a tirade of anger and hatred and are going to persecute you and even kill you. Our only hope is in Jesus. He's going to be in the midst of all of that when it comes to pass. He's going to be in the midst of that when it comes to pass. But today, today is the day where you learn to walk with him in the little things. And you learn to be faithful in the little things. In the little things. Oh, praise the Lord for his word. To be faithful in the little things. C.S. Lewis wrote, As long as you are proud... You know C.S. Lewis? Who knows C.S. Lewis? He wrote that book... What's it called? That famous book? With Nadia, is it? What's it called? Narnia, Narnia, right? Yeah. And, And many other books. But he said, As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, 
You cannot see something that is above you. And the Lord is above us all. Amen. May His sovereign hand, may His Lordship play out in your life. And may He teach you and me to be faithful in the little things as He prepares us as a people for the big things that are about to come. Who'd like to say, Lord, help me to be faithful in the little things today? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Loving Father, we just want to thank you for your word today. We want to thank you for speaking to us, Father. Oh, how relevant your word is, Father. Even this account, Lord, how relevant it is for our time. Father, teach us to walk with you. We confess, Lord, we don't have it within ourselves. We are weak, Lord. We are weak. But you will impart strength to us in the little things, Lord, so that we may find strength in the big things and in the bigger arrows that the enemy fires at us. We thank you for Jesus Christ, Lord, who came to be a deliverer. He always was, Father. He was to his people that we read about in the Old Testament, and he is for his people, Lord, that we know as the Christian church. And we look to him, Father, this morning to ask you, Lord, for your forgiveness, for our unfaithfulness in even the littlest of things. Impart to us, Lord, the power of your Holy Spirit. Teach us, Lord, to walk by the authority of your word. May we know that Jesus is with us and he will be with us to the very end. We thank you for your mercies. We thank you for your love and your care. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This message was made available by the Dundas Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit their YouTube page. Dundas Seventh-day Adventist Church. It's been a pleasure bringing you this program here on 3ABN Australia Radio.